0: Hey, Elena, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Hi. We are really excited to have you. And even more importantly, uh, we have the pleasure of having my good friend Michelle McKeon here today because she's just simply better than Matt Sabatello. And I really wanted to make sure we had our best for our good friend from the friendly part of North America. So Michelle, say hi to the folks.
1: Hey, everyone. Excited to be here. Excited to be doing some more uh, some more podcasting with Tick Bootcamp, the dream team.
0: Thank you. So Elena, I did share with folks that you were initially from Canada. Our community knows we consider you folks the nice North Americans. Uh, So talk to us about what it was like to grow up in the nice part of North America.
2: Yeah, I grew up in uh, what I'm convinced is the most beautiful part of the world. I'm from Vancouver Island. So the very, uh, very west coast of British Columbia. Um, I grew up surrounded by Evergreen forests and cold oceans and nature absolutely everywhere at your fingertips. So I'm actually in Victoria right now. It's where I spend a lot of time in the summer. And uh, but I live in now I live in San Diego. So but the Pacific Northwest uh, is very much who I am to my core and really has made me the person I am today. And yeah, I'm very, okay. very lucky.
0: In addition to the beauty that uh, the Pacific Northwest had offered to you, talk to us about what your experiences are like growing up there. Uh, and obviously, you're on a Lyme disease podcast, so everybody's sort of listening here with, you know, uh, you know, a brow forward wondering what you know about ticks and tick diseases when you were living in the beauty of uh, of uh, the northeastern, uh, I'm sorry, northwestern uh, North America.
2: Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Zero conversation about it. Zero awareness about it. I didn't know a single person with it. I actually got bitten, infected in Southern California. Um, but I did grow up, uh, you know, barefoot in the woods. I've been an avid horseback rider since I was six years old. Um, so if I'm not in the woods, I'm on the back of a horse. So like high risk in terms of, um, being in or in like interacting with ticks, but, um, You know, I was born in 82 um, and I left uh, I left Vancouver Island in 2012. But up until then, I know absolutely no information about Lyme disease on Vancouver Island. It is starting to be a conversation now, just a little bit, a little bit. But I still am kind of the anomaly when I'm here. Um, And people are still just kind of there's like whispers of it now showing up here. But um, it's still very, very under uh, misunderstood here.
0: Let's talk about your education and your career because uh you have a very interesting uh you, you took a very interesting career path. So uh I don't think we've ever had someone on this podcast who has has your uh you know chosen profession. So why don't you share with us what it was like to be educated in uh in Canada first pre-college then college. I guess you may call it university in Canada and yeah. uh of course you did your graduate work here in the US. So give us give us that 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 build out for us.
2: Yeah, I mean I've been I was born inherently extremely connected to the natural world, like could not spend enough time in nature, like animal fanatic, like wanted every animal I could get my hands on, wanted to ride horses. Like, I don't come from a horse family. My family is nature oriented, but not in a way like I was just almost like fanatical about it. And um, so it was a natural progression for me to move into my undergrad um, I went to the University of Victoria here and studied environmental science and geography and just wanted to learn everything I could about the natural world and our interactions with it and how we're destroying it and how we can save it. And um, yeah, so I've been riding horses my whole life. Um, my, my hobbies include nature. My career is nature. My education is nature. I worked in, um, I ended up specializing in marine science and fisheries, sustainable fisheries management. So in 2012, I moved down to San Diego to go to Scripps Institution of Oceanography and do some graduate work in um, sustainable fisheries management and marine biodiversity and conservation was the degree I I achieved then. And um, yeah, I just wanted to dedicate my life from my career to my hobbies, to the natural world and understanding the way we interact with it. And and it's just, it's really the person I am is expressed in all of the ways that i show up in the world um, and so yeah it is the irony that I got bit by a tick riding my horse in the woods is not lost on me um, and totally crushed me I mean that is like heartbreaking when the thing you love the most like destroyed me temporarily
0: all right well I, I think that's a little foreshadowing we're going to build out a little bit later Sorry. So let's, yeah. let's pause there no 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 I'd say I'm really excited I can't wait to talk to you about that stuff and yeah. and and and, and how spiritually, Um, You know, you were you were driven towards a more, um, you know, a more, I think, refined purpose as a result of this experience. But let's give the folks a little bit more background before we get there. So um, talk to us a little bit about uh, some of your public speaking and your activism, because you aren't just. Uh, somebody who was educated in this field, not somebody who just had a passion for spending time with animals and nature, but you, you've you also been an activist and a public speaker um, and even a, a guest on radio programs. Talk talk to us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, so when I started getting into marine science and in um, specifically into fisheries management, fisheries management touches on, like, so many stakeholders are involved. You've got industry, nonprofits like Oceana and, and, and the environmental groups that have a stake that want lots of fish in the ocean for everyone and the industry that wants a lot of fish to catch to maintain their livelihoods. And then you've got the states and the federal government. So there are so many hands involved in natural resources management. So I, I worked for a nonprofit that represented the industry for nine years. Um, and because of that work, I just got to know all of the different stakeholders uh, quite closely. And I had to speak on behalf of the industry. Um, and so that required me to go to D.C. a lot and talk to Congress and express the need for funding to study more fish and why understanding uh, what's going on with our, our stocks is really important. Um, you know, it. It's, it's something that was a little unexpected. I was in meetings at times with like international bodies. I'm like, I didn't anticipate being at meetings with countries showing up at the table because fish cross borders. So, you, you know, different countries come to the table. Um, so my career for the last nine years in San Diego was life-changing, was like absolutely a dream um, career. It really like leveraged my personality. I get along with people pretty well. I got to speak for the industry, but, you know, also for the, the resource and the stock. So it was, yeah, it led me to speaking on behalf of the industry and the stock to a lot of different groups, the federal government and state, the state agency, other industry members. So I had to learn how to be able to talk to a lot of different groups at a lot of different education levels, a lot of different backgrounds. Um, you know, the information was really polarizing, really complex um, you know, controversial at times. And I was expected to be able to explain really complicated information to, you know, someone who has spent, you know, 40 years at sea, which is amazing. Um, and they have a very different understanding than someone who has spent 13 years in university. And so, yeah, that was what I did. And I I loved it. And um, yeah, I'm just I'm really lucky I got to make the environment, my job, um, which was really awesome, and and San Diego is such an amazing place to work in marine science. It's like you know, Scripps is top tier. It's like probably one of the top two universities in the country for oceanography and marine science. Um, did not think I would get in there, but then you know, life goes, and then I did. And congratulations.
0: There. Although it's not shocking to me that you got in, but congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> so let's now. I, I can't but to take advantage of an opportunity to talk with you while we're at this background phase about uh, one of the things you said, uh, and that was that you wanted to you wanted to um, help us to figure out how we could stop destroying the natural world, and I think that's an important point that we need to build out together. So one of the things we we've done here at Boot Camp very recently is we've begun to try to find people who have the academic credentials to talk to us about animals and the impact that animals are having on on this disease, right? So we we spent a lot of time talking with microbiologists because we wanted to learn about the bugs. And we spent a lot of time talking with medical doctors who were treating people who had the bugs. And we talked to, of course, this is a patient uh, platform. We spoke to almost 400 different people who were diagnosed with uh, chronic Lyme disease. But the the piece that we were missing when we were looking at this process of bugs in animals, which then get uh, sucked out of the animal by a tick vector, which then bites a person and spits the tick into the, I'm sorry, spits the microbes into the person, right? The one piece we weren't spending enough time with were folks like you who are academically trained in the natural world. And I have to tell you, some of the some of the you know the the brilliant, for example, um veterinarians that we've interviewed have given us unbelievable insight into this process. So we're now I'm not gonna invite you to give us some insight into both of the into both um, what is happening with climate change and I don't want to get into the global warming debate, but I, I don't think anyone could disagree with me when I argue our climate is changing and that's having an impact on the way that we interact with nature. Uh, climate is changing and that's having an impact in the way that animals are behaving and climate is changing and that's having an impact on the way the microbes are behaving and the virility of uh, of microbes. So uh, first, why don't you give me your thoughts on on the importance of, of of people like you who are academically trained in the natural sciences and the impact that you can have on helping us um, overcome the challenges that this disease is 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 creating for millions and millions of people in in the world each year.
2: Yeah, in my career, I mean, it's very clear to me. In my career, I was a bridge, so I kind of sat right in between the industry and Congress, federal government, and so I was. That was my skill set was to be able to make connections between those groups. Sometimes they speak, you know, they don't speak the same language. And so that was what I found myself really good at, which was taking information and making everybody understand and see that together we are much stronger. We can move mountains working together groups that generally don't work together very well. When we can find a way to work together and understand we do want the same end goal, like a lot of fish in the ocean. Scientists want a lot of fish in the ocean. Fishermen want a lot of fish in the ocean. So you have to find a way that we both have the same end goal um, and you can move mountains together when you find a way to work together. And my boss really showed me that in, in an incredible way. So yeah, I think for me, where I can find myself helpful in the lime world because this is my first, this is my first podcast online, this first time speaking online. Well, welcome. And, yeah, thanks. I mean, I'm just this is like me dipping my toe in. But I do think that I have a skill set that could be really useful in making connections that aren't necessarily being made. Because like you said, I am trained. I do have a certain background, but I've lived line. Like I know what it's like. I was taken out so badly. So um, I think I can, yeah, if, I think I'm answering the question correctly, but I think that having- this And with my background and my my knowledge and my ability to speak to multiple stakeholders and groups, I think I would find myself naturally being a bridge.
0: So one of the professors of veterinary science that we interviewed argued that one of the challenges or the mistakes that we're making in the live community is that we're looking at our herd too narrowly. Generally, what we focus on, and certainly in this podcast, what we focus on is how do we help people avoid getting sick and how essentially prevent yourselves from becoming in contact with uh, the, the microbes? And we talk about how people can get better, right? How do we keep our herd healthy? And his argument was we're defining herd too narrowly, that if we're really going to make a difference in resolving this, this horrific challenge that we're all we're all dealing with, is that we have to define the herd to include the animal community, right? We, we can't just be concerned about humans, but we have to expand the herd and we have to be more concerned about our environment. And we certainly have to be more concerned about um, about the animals in the environment um, in the wild. So give me your perspective on that. Do you think that, uh, that doctor of veterinary uh, science is correct? Or do you think we're probably okay or we're probably wise to just be focusing on sick people in the short term so that we can try to help them just get better.
2: I love that perspective. I wanted to be a vet forever um, yeah, that was my first career choice. Um, I think I have a unique perspective when I think about like what you were saying like keeping people safe from ticks, not getting bitten and what to do if you are a bit I have a I think I have a unique perspective and I'm very very keen on building resiliency because of the way I've seen when we when a when a species is at risk, what we do is we we work at building their resiliency against things like pollution or warming oceans or overfishing we address the things that jeopardize their inherent resiliency because the natural world is so inherently resilient by nature and i know that we are the natural world there is no separation so i believe it, i believe it and i've been trained to know it that we as humans being an extension or part of the natural world are inherently resilient I don't, I I worry about the conversation. Like ticks are scary. And I understand that firsthand and they destroy lives. And I understand that. I also am a little concerned with the, the, there's a lot of fear of ticks and like a fear mongering of ticks. And I think it creates a bit more of a divide like us and nature. And, and there is no divide that's, that's perceived and it's damaging. And so I, I'm very much, Concern not very much. I'm a little bit concerned with the kind of like fear mongering around ticks and going into nature because I find so much healing there. That was a huge pillar of my healing. Um, so yeah, if that that's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a unique perspective to think about it. Um, and I, and I recognize that it it is my training and I think the way I've been raised and things like that, but if that's sort of what that veterinarian was saying like I don't want to separate us further I don't want to make people more afraid of the woods or more afraid of ticks I think that we need to address our own enhance our own resiliency because the th- I'm convinced I, I don't hate the tick that bit me I am much more upset with the way I was living that jeopardized my resiliency that I'm convinced made me sick
0: okay and I can't wait to build that piece out with you but hold off one second Michelle and All I right. just want to follow up because I think there's another piece of, of this that I want to build out with you, which is uh which is there are some on this podcast that have argued that uh the Lyme disease um epidemic is the result of our failure to be good stewards of our environment. That as a result of being bad stewards, and as a result of of not being responsible to uh, protect uh, our environment from the changes that we're undergoing, uh, we are finding ourselves with, uh, with, uh, you know, an epidemic that was probably caused by us because we, you know, ticks have been biting people as long as there are people there, there are, there are ticks that have been found in, in, in fossils that are millions of years old. The very earliest humans that have ever been tested Etsy the Iceman had Lyme disease. And he's the oldest, you know, oldest human that has ever been tested, uh, you know, thirty five hundred years ago. So we've always had Lyme and 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 uh, you know the bacteria, and we've always had uh, ticks in our lives, but we are getting sick at a radically different rate. And some of what, I know you have an opinion on that from a personal standpoint, which which Michelle is going to take you through. But just stay with me on the stewardship piece and 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 why. Some might argue, and I'd like your opinion on it, that, you know, this uh, this epidemic is really something that was triggered by our failure to be good stewards.
2: I'm not an expert on the increased spread of Lyme because of climate change. I think that's relatively understood and a given that that ticks are showing up in places they didn't used to be. Correct me if I'm wrong, because of a, a warming climate. So that's a given. So, yeah, I mean, a warming climate is a failure of uh, of ours. Um, we're, the train has left the station. The science is undeniable. And um, this is a canary in the coal mine, um, one of like 100 million <laughs> examples of climate-related change that we're going to have to adjust to. You know, some of us are much more fortunate, are going to be able to, some people are going to suffer much greater and some people are going to be able to, to ride it out a little bit better. So. Yeah, I mean, if, if ticks are spreading further because of warming climates, that's a failure. Um, I mean, like in Victoria, there are deer showing up in town where there never used to be deer, ever, ever, ever. And there are deer, like three deer in my front yard right now. That's because, probably because predators are gone, like large apex predators, cougars, cougars. Um, massive development on the outskirts of town perhaps pushing the deer into town so there's a big concern now do we call the deer because they're bringing ticks into people's front yards like i have cats the cats literally like hang out with the the deer it it crosses my mind that would be a failure you know a, a failure um is that sort of what you mean, like that kind of?
0: Yeah, no, but it's really it, it it is really, you know, it goes back to the conversation we were having earlier, which is, you know, we we have to respond with ability. And I think if we're focusing narrowly on our herd and we're not looking at the larger um, responsibility that we have to steward this environment, we're going to see more problems like this. And this problem is going to continue to get worse. So, you know, if if people need an incentive to be more responsible in the way that they're living their lives and the policies that they're advocating for, specifically uh, those relating to climate change, I think this is a trigger for that, right? I mean, really is something that folks have to take um, take into consideration because as the climate changes, and yes, we are adaptive beings. Yes, we are resilient beings. But you know what? It takes a long time for us to adapt as a species. And if the ch- if the rate of change accelerates at the pace that it's, it's it is accelerating now, we may find ourselves in a place where we can't adapt fast enough, and that will be really bad for our species. So, you know, we we really do. At least I believe, and certainly I've, I, I've appreciated the argument that I've made by many of the experts in the veterinary science arena. That you know we have to be better stewards of our environment. If we're not, um, you know, we may find ourselves in a much worse position than we already are. But okay, it's a finite
2: more- balance, and things are changing. Like you said, it's the rate of change which is very concerning.
0: So let's let's come back to your story. Um, I've enjoyed the tangent, but we do want to come back and let's talk about uh, when you started uh, to feel um, ill. Uh, before you were diagnosed, but when you, when you first started to feel the symptoms of what you now know to be Lyme disease symptoms? Uh,
2: yes, I started, I was bit in 2017, um, knowingly. Um, but I'd been around horses in Southern California where there, were, I'd never seen a tick before. And then I moved to Southern California and I would go hiking. And I was like, Oh my God, Oh my God, these things are real. Like I didn't really, they were like mysterious little wooden creatures I didn't really believe in. Um, yeah, so then uh, 2017 for the next three years or so, I had very like I, like I call them like whispers, like they were like very subtle um, symptoms that kind of crept in that I were easily written off as stress because I was living such a fast paced life. I was working t- probably too much. I was commuting a lot. I was it was like a very very hectic, fast paced time in my life where my career was you know, taking off, um, I was traveling a lot. I was commuting like two to three hours a day in California, Southern California traffic. I was quite stressed. And so the symptoms that were popping in, I wrote off as anxiety or stress. Like I just, and they were so ambiguous that I thought like, what am I going to do? Go to a doctor and say, my brain feels like it vibrates once a month. Like I just, I, I like, I like gaslit myself or whatever, you know, like I was like, Oh, they're just going to say to you, like, what do you mean you feel like your brain's vibrating girl? Like what to explain? I'm like, I don't know. Um, and so, yeah, like brain buzzing and, and uh, vertigo, which I just wrote off as stress. Um, my anxiety started to skyrocket, but that made sense because I had a lot of pressure at work. Um, Numbing. I had numbing all on my legs, went to a neurologist and they were like, your legs are fine. So then I thought I had MS. Like I self-diagnosed myself with like early MS. Um, uh, yeah. Numbing limbs. Oh, and then I would just have days where I felt like I had the flu randomly just like, but I didn't never like manifested into a real flu, but I would just be like driving home from work. i be like, Oh man, I got the flu. And then I like would be fine the next day. So I just thought they were all so vague and ambiguous that no doctor plus they didn't even have a doctor in the states um not but like i just i prided myself on being a person that was like low maintenance like didn't need that like go 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 produce 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 like be hyper productive. like i was no. i was like very type a very i've been told like a lot of line people get like like re- like constantly on the go so yeah i just i actively actively ignored Now what I see is like crystal clear Lyme creeping in.
0: So So uh, we've had many people in this podcast who are equestrian athletes, and you indicated that you didn't know anything about ticks and Lyme disease when you were up in Canada. But when you came down to the States and you started to you started to participate in equestrian sports down here, did anyone ever recommend that you learn about Lyme disease? Anybody teach you anything about Lyme disease? Were you finding ticks on the horses? I mean, what was going on when you came down here to the more tick endemic part of the uh of North America?
2: No, nothing. I mean, like Yolanda Hadid's, I like I watched like Housewives. And like I would like, she <laughs> was a rider and I, you know, and I was like, oh yeah, that looks pretty bad. Um like honestly like i never read her book but you know like you just kind of hear these things but no like no no one at my barn talked about it um in southern in san diego there's still an overwhelming understanding that it is a new england northeastern connecticut problem like it is still a very much like ah, it's an east coast thing we we have them here but they're the wrong species um, you know, like, cause my, hu- my husband, um, is a biologist and we would hike and he's an avid hunter and outdoorsman and he would have ticks on him. And he was like, that's ah, dog tick doesn't carry it. You know, like, um, you know, like it, it's, and he's got a PhD in biology. Um, and so, yeah. And that, you know, he's learned, like, I have like an insane amount in the last handful of years. Um, but the day I was bit, we did, we thought it, it wasn't possible that it, cause it was the wrong species. So no, it did not come up despite spending three afternoons a week riding horses. It did not come up, so, but I wasn't yeah. telling people I was dizzy either. Like, no, I wasn't, I was very secretive, very secretive. I was not telling anyone I had vertigo or anything.
0: Right. So you're, so you're, you're a stoic person, you're low maintenance, you're a sucking up kind of gal. And uh, oh, yeah. that, that didn't serve you well. Michelle is going to take you through that. Let's stay with the tech bite. So, um, Tell me a little bit more about the tick bite. Um, what were you doing before the tick bite? And how did you discover the biting tick?
2: Uh it was a day that was so now it's like a metaphor. The day I was bit was like such a classic day where I was, you know, out at the house at 650, like rate, right, like 45 minutes of calf, like brutal gridlock to get to work, like research with race, like race to the barn. I have like, you know an hour and 48 minutes to ride my horse and then go home. And it was just such a frenzied classic day that represented my life at that time. Um, I went to the barn and I didn't have time to change out of my barn clothes. Now I would never do that. Um, So I had my barn clothes on, went back, did some more work. Then like six hours later, went to take off my riding shirt and found the tick on my stomach. Had a funny little rash around it. Like, it's kind of like an interesting, like, vascular, like, pattern. Like, it looked like I had a bunch of spider veins around it. Weird. Didn't have a bullseye. Panicked. Like, freaked out. Um, and I was like, oh, it happened. I kind of had, like, built up this whole, like, bad thing in my head. Like, it's happened. And... um Yeah. Like it wasn't even like really, it was only on for maybe five hours. So I was able to just like wipe it off. I just like frantically like, like swiped it off and it flew off. And I was like freaked out. So I grabbed a bottle of like Windex and sprayed it like a hundred times. I was like, die. (laughs) Like, you know, like didn't know what to do with it. And then like my brain like slowed down and I was like, Oh my God, put it in a bag. Like, I don't know. Like if that was like my like scientific training was like, just put it in a Ziploc. Like Keep the specimen was like the voice, like the logical voice that like popped in. No, no training on anything, you know. And I'd already like doused it in Lysol or Windex, um, and then frantically called my husband and was like, you know, come home and and called my riding instructor and was like, I just got bit at the barn because I had just seen her, and she is like, she's an incredible horsewoman. She's been riding for ever. And she was like, oh, just wash it with soap. Like, it's not, you know, it's like, this isn't a Southern California thing. She had ridden horses on the East Coast and was like, you know, I have a lot of friends on the East Coast who got it, but this is Southern California. And then my husband came home and it was like diving into the internet. Like we just become, we just became academics, like for the next several hours. And then I went to the hospital and then it all like, you know, it's like failure after failure.
0: So what year was the tick bite?
2: 2017.
0: Okay, so between so between 2017 and 2020, you have these developing symptoms. Um, your body seems to be managing managing these symptoms for that three year window, uh, and then you have you have a riding accident. Talk to us about the riding accident and how things accelerated after the riding accident.
2: Yeah, so I was given no treatment despite going to the hospital the day I was bit. Oh, sorry, I was given one dose of doxycycline. So. Oh. Weird. One, One dose. dose. He Did, gave, they, like, do awesome. Did no, they do no, any testing? No, no. I'd never 100%. seen a tick. He, he literally, he was he was a lovely ER doctor. I just waited. My husband was like, let's just err on the side of caution and take you to the ER. And, you know, we went and he was like, well, fancy that. Like never seen a tick before. And, you know, we already looked online and we we're like, oh, no, dog ticks don't carry it. It's not attached for long enough. We're in the wrong part of the country. Like the internet just like, was like, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Mm-hmm. And my husband's like, you know, you're fine. Like, I'm a biologist. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. And uh took the tick to the hospital and he was like, Oh my gosh, I've never seen one of these things. And um he scuttled off and then he like pulled out I'm not a doctor, obviously, but he like pulled out the big blue book and I could see him like thumbing through it. I'm like, oh my god, he's looking in the book. <laughs> and um, but he's from like he's in Southern California, right? And so yeah, he came back with I'll never forget a little cup of two doxycycline and was like take that and you're fine it's like not even like i don't even know what that what the point (laughs) no prescription nothing yeah so so um so when then yeah in 2020 i had a very bad riding accident where my horse cartwheeled and fell on top of me and both sprained both of my knees and um like it was really bad and um that happened in September, 2020. And then Oct- very end of October, 2020. So six to eight weeks later, my husband and I both got the the flu, not COVID just like the regular flu, which was crazy at that time. It was just like, who get who gets like flu a or B at that time? Like we did it was so weird. We weren't doing anything. Um, He got better in three days and I just never got better. Like I just stayed sick for a month and we were like, something's going on here. Like, I, I, and then I still didn't want to go to the doctor. I, I pushed going to the doctor. I was like, no, like, I just like have this like post flu inflammation or I don't know what it's called or something like where you just stay inflamed after the flu. I just self, I'm like really good at self-diagnosing. I was like, oh no, <laughs> I just got that thing. Like, what are they going to do for me? You know?
1: Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Let's go back a little bit. 2017, you get bit, you actually see the tick, you see that there's a rash, you go to the doctor, um, they prescribe two days of, of uh, no, antibiotic. No, two pills. Oh, two pills. Two pills of an antibiotic. Did they? And they didn't do any Lyme testing or anything? No, it didn't even come up. Didn't come up. You go back um, throughout the next few years, you start having symptoms of vertigo and not quite feeling like yourself, getting more anxiety, but kind of ramping that up to possibly just like a busy lifestyle. Then you yeah. get in your um, riding accident with your horse in 2020, and that flares things up. And then the next thing that happens is the flu, which is almost like the perfect storm hit after hit after hit. And you're just not getting better after this flu. What are some of the symptoms that um, that came after the flu and that kept you from being uh, continuing to be sick?
2: My most dominant symptom that I've had since that almost three years ago has been body aches. That horrible feeling you have when you realize you're getting the flu when you're like at work and you're like, oh, man, like everything hurts. Your skin's prickly. That has been hands down my most consistent, like brutal symptom. So the body aches just would not go away. I didn't really have much of a fever. Like I had the like three day flu where I was like raging fever and all those things. But then when that went away, it was just a general, like uh, g- I, I actually thought I had fibromyalgia. I was like, okay, I guess I have fibromyalgia because my mom was diagnosed with that when I was like 15, she had fibromyalgia for like a year. And so I remember thinking, okay, I guess this is genetic. I guess I inherited fibromyalgia. I just have general body aches. Um, the vertigo would come and go, but I thought that vertigo was something that was, um, like would baffle any doctor. So I just mm-hmm. kind of thought this is like the vertigo I've had, um, numbness, like, like numb limbs, my, then like the creeping in, like the burning hands, stiff neck and all that started to creep in.
1: Okay. So, and then how, what's, what's this time frame? you, you have, yeah. Oh, okay. Like so I got the flu um
2: Halloween week in 2020. And for a month, I went from like run like running 10K, working like 50 hour weeks, um, like riding six horses a week, like like all of it to I would try and go for a walk and I could barely walk five kilometers. And and I was like, okay. Like, this is odd. I'm such a high energy, strong constitution, go-getter. And I would just like push. Like I was like, deny, deny, deny. Like you're going on a walk today and you're walking. Like you can do this. And I would be like destroyed after five kilometers.
1: So someone who's pretty type A, go, go, go. And just kind of like pushing through at this point where you can't really push through, even when you're trying, What's the next thing you do? Were you going to doctors as, at this point? Were you talking to your family? Um, yeah. What was no? Your next I test? drank
2: more water and took a multivitamin. I literally was like, okay, drink more water. I already drink a lot. Take a multivitamin. I would never tell my family it was COVID. They were in Canada. I didn't want them to worry. Like, what are they going to do? I'm. I've been like historically really secretive. So, not in a bad way. Just like, such like a keep my stuff to myself type of person.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so no, I literally remember taking a multivitamin and being like, well, hopefully this works. Um,
1: and that's and surprising. Then,
2: like You should probably see a doctor.
1: Yeah, and that's surprising. If your mom was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, it makes me wonder, you know, does she have possibly a history with tick-borne infections? Um, and then even having those similar symptoms, um, yeah, it is. It probably was a lot for you to kind of hold it in and just try to ride this out every day, but really feel like your body's shutting down. So, so here you're at this point, you're talking to your husband and he's kind of like, all right, like it's, this has been going on for a while drinking water. It's not working. Like, what are we going to do?
2: He was on, Is like, I think it really, you really need to make an appointment just do an like it was COVID peak COVID California was crazy. You know, it was like, 50,000 cases a day like no one was doing anything so he was like just make a zoom call to be 10 minutes and uh she was like phenomenal she was I totally downplayed it I was like yeah I've just been feeling really sick like I just this flu is not going away and she was like she like picked up on it within like seven minutes
1: which you were one of the lucky ones (laughs) oh
2: my god yeah she was amazing she was like Horses, outdoorsy, Lyme t- like tick bite, like your neck is stiff, your feet are fluey. Like she was like, get it, you, you need to get a Lyme test. And I was like, no, 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 I don't. I do not need a Lyme test. <laughs> did not like deny, did not want to know.
1: Wow. Okay. So you have this great doctor who is able to really look into the past few years and figure out what, what has happened. Um, and then what goes on from there? Did you get certain tests? What type of tests did you get? Did they just test for Lyme or did they also test for co-infections?
2: So she wasn't even my, I'd never met this doctor before. Like this was a walk, urgent care. uh, It's called walk-in in in Canada. So urgent care, like this woman had no, like this clinic doesn't have much history of me. I would go to them occasionally. So she was amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. She was like, it's, she, she, and I think she could feel my resistance probably. I didn't want to, I already had all, so starting to build in my head all of these like narratives, like Lyme is going to destroy your life. So I just wanted to deny it. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was quite gentle with me and was like, it's just a simple blood test. And if it, it, you know, it's just a simple blood test. So I got the simple blood test. And I remember waiting in line because everyone had to wait outside. And I was like, I just felt like, I was like, this feels like day two of a flu still. And it's been, you Know a month and a half or whatever at that point, so yeah. I just got the I didn't know, I didn't ask any questions. She was just like Western Blot Eliza, I guess. Mm-hmm. And she, I knew it when she called me and said she needed to make an appointment for, to talk about the results. And I knew, like, I knew, I knew it. I'm like, okay, it's done. And so then I went online and started like doing questionnaires and all these things. And it was like 98% chance you have Lyme, like, you have Lyme, you have Lyme, like. I was hitting all of these things. And so then I spiraled and started to like panic. But then she did call me and yeah, she was like, you absolutely have Lyme.
1: Okay. So you get tested. Was this just like you went to LabCorp or did you get testing from like Igenix or Vibrant or any of these special?
2: LabCorp, like most basic off the charts on those ones. Like it was flowing in my body.
1: Yeah. Um and I feel like as terrible as Lyme disease is and 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 like horrific of a situation like out of the terribleness you actually were kind of on like out of all the bad it was like a little bit better than what it could have been. Oh,
2: um, I mean getting, thank god for that woman.
1: Yeah, yeah, having a doctor who caught it right away and then not even getting a um a test done from like a very Lyme literate laboratory, just general general. Uh, so I
2: haven't done all that later. But the the initial diagnosis was just lab core.
1: And that's where a lot of times it's missed. So so many times people go years and years and years. And fortunately for you, um, it was caught earlier rather than later. So you get your Lyme score. And then what about co infections? Did she test any co infections? No, that
2: wasn't even brought up. She said, I, uh, she said, she, she was definitely more lit in hindsight. Now that I've lived it for years, she was more literate than like probably your average San Diego, um, GP because she said like, based on, and I didn't know what she was talking about, you know, based on what I see here, it's looking a little bit chronic. Um, she was being very gentle with me. Um, and she said, I'm going to give you 10 days. of It was either 10 days or three weeks. I can't remember of doxycycline. And, and she said, and there's a doctor at our clinic that is more versed in Lyme. And he was from the East coast. And she said, I think you should, if you don't feel better in 10 days, then you should uh, make an appointment to see him. And yeah. And I, and that was great. But I, that was the moment I hung up with her. I made an appointment with a Lyme literate doctor. I like, I just hung up the phone and was like, all right, I'm finding a specialist like immediately.
1: Yeah. So that's really interesting because if you were just bit, that may be recommendations of like go on antibiotics for uh, like two months or, and they're not even give you two months, but this is now a few years. This is now, you know, it's 2017. Now it's at the end of 2020. So it is at a chronic state. And so at a chronic state, just like a few weeks or a few months of antibiotics are definitely not going to cut it. So you did great. And then made an appointment with a Lyme literate physician. Um, And then what what happened from there?
2: Yeah, I mean, those it was like, the emotional toll was just, I was like, devastated. Like I was like, in total fear, like consumed in fear. And then all the headlines, you know, like, you're going to be like, ruined, like, it's just like, it was such a terrible few days. I called cause we're in San Diego and I was like, okay, well, at least we're close to like LA. There's, you know, we live amongst tens of millions of people. Like there mm-hmm. are going to be the best doctors in the world here. Um, and I don't really know why, like, I didn't think to go, I have access to like work, like to phenomenal healthcare. And I didn't think to go to like Scripps, Torrey Pines. Like these are like world famous hospitals. I was like, no, no, no. Go to like a like I went online and it was like Lyme specialist LA, Lyme specialist, San Diego. Um, I just had, I don't know what, I don't know why I felt, I followed that just knowing. And um, yeah, so she was, I, I talked to a couple of clinics in LA and it was quite overwhelming. And I was like, oh my God. And then the one in um, San Diego, Dr. Nicola Ducharme, she happened to be like 15 minutes from my house and had an opening like four days later and um like I just it was just like a lifeline I was like okay okay like at least I can like you know hang on for four days and and her you know her her website was like pages and pages of blind treatment and success stories and so yeah I just leaned hard into her, her. I took the the doxy I kept staying on the doxy cycling that the doctor had given me and with no like understanding of like, might make you feel worse. And like, I was expecting it to be some lovely little linear healing. Like, like when you get strep throat, I was like, Oh, I'll feel a little bit better every single day. And like four days on doxy went by and I was like, no change. It's like (laughs) so confusing. So yeah. um, And then Dr. Nicola got me to do, uh, she was, I mean, she was lovely. And I have the first conversation with her recorded, um, which I've listened to since. Um, And her words were like, there is no question you have Lyme. Like she's like looking at the lab core. She's like, there is no question your symptoms and your labs. Um, But then she taught me about co-infections and immediately got me tested um, like through Igenics for co-infections, which I had a bunch, obviously. And um, yeah, I just, I stayed a little bit. I'm, I'm very like aware of like, I don't, I'm not hanging out. I wasn't even then. And I never ended up doing like the, I didn't really go onto Lyme forums. Like I'm very, very, very careful about what I read online. I didn't wanna like pollute my mind with more Mm -hmm. anxious thoughts. I was so nervous. My sweet husband like phoned their office and was like, be gentle with her. She's like so scared. And like, I'm a pretty confident person. I show up like, you know, and, and I was just like, I was like a shadow of myself when I went to her office. Um, and so she was like, super sweet with me. I think the, the Babesia was making my anxiety. I was, I was nuts. Like when it came to anxiety, I wasn't, I was losing my, my mind. But yeah, so she's been, she's amazing. I can't, I can't say enough positive things about her.
1: It is so nice to hear that um, someone who is trying to figure out what's making them sick, that the doctor was confirming and being like, this is definitely what you have. There's no question because... I think for so many of our listeners that has not been the case where it's like some doctors are like, you definitely don't have, have Lyme disease and do not bring it up in my office. And other doctors are like, no, 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 no. Like, I know this isn't the CDC positive, but like you are showing Lyme literate bands, and you, you have a history of Lyme and we, um, we are clinically diagnosing you and, uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it can be such a scary process trying to figure out being at this crossroad which way to go um and it's nice to hear that you had a physician that was like this is what you had even though it's not something that you want to hear but um but that a doctor has your back um so i'm happy to hear that and then you did get tested for co-infections i know you mentioned you had babesia what other co-infections did you have
2: i tested positive for babesia and tick-borne relapsing
1: um those are the one she told me about. I don't really. And those, the tick-borne relapsing, it's not uncommon on more of the West coast. Um, so I'm in Colorado and I see that a lot more with my clients on the West coast than I did with my clients on the East coast. So okay. that, that makes sense. Just some of those strains. Um, okay. So you have your Lyme diagnosis, babesia, tick-borne relapsing fever. What are the next steps? What was her treatment options? Um,
2: so it was, um, antibiotics, oral antibiotics. So it was a continuation of the doxy, ten, tenize. I never know how to say it, all. Ten, whatever that one is. Okay. You know, um, bicillin
1: injections. Ooh, um, those are the worst.
2: Oh my God. <laughs> those
1: were. I had to do that myself and those, those were very painful. Ones. Yeah. yeah those. I could yeah. Don't miss that. No yeah. one can prepare you for
2: those ones. Um, malarone or generic malarone for the babesia slew of um antimicrobial like tinctures and herbal supplements so supplements um iv ozone iv vitamins infrared sauna and then oh drastic diet change like i cut alcohol obviously it's like not interested um caffeine dairy wheat gluten like sugar. Like I would, like, I was like sniffing chocolate. It was like, like, there was, <laughs> like on Easter, I literally sniffed my husband's chocolate egg. Oh, oh my God. So, um, yeah, I was eating, um, just like organic meats and vegetables and fruits and, um, like it's just a very earth-based, like holistic type mm-hmm. diet, nothing like crazy. I just removed all of the stuff. I already knew wasn't good for me.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah. you're going all in. You're doing all, all body of like, okay. Yes. Yeah. So committing to the diet, only sniffing chocolate, not putting it in your mouth, um, and then also doing antimicrobial antibiotics, antimicrobial herbals, and then detox therapies such as ozone and IV vitamin infusions, things like that. And so I was okay. All so the
2: recommendations, yeah. and
1: detoxing. And how are you feeling? Because, um yeah, the, the Lyme journey is not always a linear straight line. Yeah, it was,
2: it was, uh, it was like, the, like words diminish it. It was horrifying. It was horrifying. I was so sick. Like, there's a, I use this example all the time because I think it, it like, just, I went from. Yeah, I would get up, I would work, I would ride horses, I would run 10k, I would make dinner, I'd clean the house. Like I was that person. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and I look nice. Like it was just mental. And then I, when I was my sickest, like after I started the treatment, she warned me about herxing, but like, no one can like, warn you enough. Especially I didn't ease into these things. I left that appointment and did like I'm so that person, right? Like I left that appointment and everything started that night. Like it was like Excel spreadsheets for my medicine, like, you know, like post-its of like inspirational quotes over the house. Like I was going to heal this in three weeks. That's what I was decided. I was going to do this in three weeks. And so I clearly, my body, like I, I crashed for probably four months, five months where, yeah, like the example Like, I couldn't wipe the countertops down in the kitchen. Like, I would stand there and I'd be like, oh, I need to wipe down the counters. And I'd be like, no, can't do it. It's like, too bad. Can't do it. Like, went from walking 10K and riding two horses and working in one day to, eh, could maybe walk to the end of our driveway, maybe to the neighbor's house. Like, Zoom, like, FaceTiming my family was like, running a marathon. It was so exhausting. I could like I was, I was in too much pain to read. Like I like, yeah, it was, it, it, I crashed from like January. So I I met with her in December and then January, February, March, April were like the dark, the dark times. It was COVID. So it was so I was so fortunate because my husband and I like, really, I like adore him and we're like, we're really like, i thank God I would have probably died without him. Um, we were home alone and it was COVID. So we were just, I didn't feel, I didn't have like fear of missing out. Like work wasn't happening. Travel wasn't happening. Nothing was happening that I was very lucky. It also made it. So I hid it from everybody. I hid it from everyone. I didn't tell my family nobody but my husband knew so yeah those were very bad days and then I ended up being one of the people that had a terrible reaction to the sun and so um I'm writing a book about like I've, I've written a book and in my book like the chapter on the sun and being in southern California and not being able to be in the sun when you're on those antibiotics was one of the most grueling things I've ever gone through. I mean, our house and we're so we have this beautiful southwest facing home on the top of a hill with windows. The whole thing is windows. So I had to just have the windows closed. I couldn't sit in our living room. I would just like hole up in our bedroom with the windows drawn. Um, Yeah. So no, those were horrible times, horrible times.
1: So going from go, go, go. Yeah. Um, so going from go, go, go to really having to stop your life. Um, how, how was that? Like, did you, Did I know COVID is during this time. Did you have to tell work and take a medical leave? Um, like how, did, how did that is, all? Transpire? My boss is
2: like family to me. He's been one of the most important mentors of my life. Um, like I said, like I am really good at keeping things close. And so I would like reserve, like any energy reserve I had, I used to, to punch out like some work, but it, like I used like COVID again, like we weren't going into the office. And so like, we would just, I was at home, like pushing through debilitating pain to try and do some work. Um, so
1: you're still working and you're, I dropped to down to a, like, now. I dropped
2: down from full-time to contractor so I okay. could work when I was able. Yeah. Work plummeted, like plummeted. Um, and yeah, I would, I would still have to do zoom meetings and I would just like find ways around it. I just like, wouldn't have my camera on and I just became less engaged Um, I wasn't seeking out new projects like with the position I was in I was doing like a a lot of like seeking out grant funding and I just kind of stopped doing that like my boss knows me so well I'm always like such a like yes go getter I'll figure it out myself and I just kind of stopped doing that I stopped like acquiring new projects and this I, I, I coasted on the work I'd put in the previous like several years like my programs and stuff were up and running pretty well And um, in the winter was a bit of a lull anyways in fishing. So I was able to, you know, a lot of like, hate to use the word like lucky, but a lot of things kind of worked out for me, like the COVID thing, work being a little bit slower in the winter anyways. But I mean, I pushed like, I pushed through extreme pain all the time, like every line person does. And I still do.
1: Yeah. And so you're on these aggressive treatments, you're planning in your head, you're going to, you're going to do it hard and you're going to get better, feel like yourself and go back to your regular, regular life pre-Lyme. Um, and when you're going through this process and seeing that things are not going as planned, how are you feeling? And then, um, did you decide to change treatments or in what direction did you go at that point?
2: Dr. Nicola is the most like sweet, like, like, she just never, no, she never, I never questioned leaving her. Um, I'm very much like, stay the course, like just stick it out. And she was, she was good about that. Like, this is going to take time. And she was really reassuring. I think she pegged my personality pretty quickly. She's like, you're my most overachieving patient ever. (laughs) Like, you know, I'm a dream patient like that. Like you tell me to do it and I do it. And then I do it a hundred times probably, but then I also overachieved my healing and I had spreadsheets. And if I didn't do my 45 things, like if I didn't dry brush and wash off and sauna and stretch and do my breath work and my, like, then I would beat myself up. So she was super sweet like that too. Like, you know, learning to rest, (laughs) like learning to listen. So I, she's, she was just a beautiful like female doctor. Like I feel really lucky that I had a female doctor. Um, She took the time to get to know me. Um, and no, I never thought about going elsewhere. Um, I didn't think, I just knew it was going to take time and and she just didn't make me feel like it wasn't working. Like mm-hmm. these things take time and we would try different antibiotics. Like I stayed on Doxy for a year, which is just like crazy. You know, I stayed on Malarone for not nine months or whatever it was. And I think, mm-hmm. and we would try different antibiotics. Like when we sort of plateaued, she would be like, let's try a different one. Um, Bicillin gave me like a herx where I actually thought I was dying. Like I, I, that was the day, like there was been one lime day in my life where I thought I was probably dying was when I herpsed off Bicillin. pardon me, Bactrim, um, Bactrim. Okay. Oh my God. Um,
1: yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's tricky because, uh, the one of the hardest things to learn in the Lyme journey is, um, it is it is a journey. It's yeah. it's going to take a while. And for someone that seems like for your whole life, you've done the right thing and you've been able to s- succeed by going above and beyond, and then having to kind of like reevaluate things and and then take a step back and be like wait, I actually need to let my body rest a little bit to actually let it move forward. So fast is slow. You do too much, go too aggressive. It can actually give you a, a, a Herxheimer that's that's too much for your system. But if you take it a little bit slower, then your body is more receptive to it and and you can move forward a little bit faster. But it's, it's not an easy lesson to learn. And it seems like it has been- yeah. um, Yes. I'm
2: still learning it, right? I push still too much, for sure, admittedly. But that's the gift of Lyme. I am grateful for it because it it forces me to slow down still today. Like it's forces me to slow down every day still. And what a gift because I wasn't getting that message before Lyme.
1: Mm-hmm. What have been some of your uh, treatments that you have tried that has brought you uh, the most symptom relief and helped you move forward? What are some of your favorite? I mean, I do
2: think the antibiotics were a vital double-edged sword. I mean, I've been off antibiotics. I was on them for a year. I've been off them for what, a year and a half now. I think they were clearly vital because my my life is 70% back. I think that's probably because of the antibiotics, and the herxes are like a testament to that, you know? So I mean the bicillin was. Felt really powerful, like intuitively it felt very strong. I I was getting two shots a week. Um, I I committed to ozone twice a week. I don't know that I ever felt like it was making a huge difference, but I committed to it. Um, For me, the emotional healing was absolutely paramount. I did huge amounts of emotional healing nervous system calming and nervous system regulation and breath work and cold water immersion and yeah, antibiotics and emotional healing.
1: What treatments are you currently doing now? And are there any that you're planning to look into? I did SOT
2: about six months ago for tick-borne relapsing. Okay. For
1: for our listeners, can you explain what SOT is and and how it helped? um, or how it works sort of illegal
2: it. nucleotide therapy. Mm-hmm. And I, this is my, you can correct me. Um, my understanding that it has been used for a couple of decades to treat cancers with pretty good success. And I think it's been used to treat Lyme in Europe like always for uh, a handful of years, 10 years, maybe. Um, and there is one person in LA and then randomly my doctor's office started doing it. Um, so they, uh, it works by essentially, uh, <laughs> not allowing the bacteria to replicate is what I'm, my understanding. And, um, so you, it, it's a blood draw, the blood gets sent over to Greece where the it is treated. And then the SOT is sent back and then it's just through an IV put back into your system. Um, I didn't hurt from that. I don't think, no, I didn't. But I did notice like quite a jump in, like, like a jump back to more normal after. Like I would, can like, I know so many people listening feel this. Like you kind of get lost in it. You're like, wait, what what was I like last year? Like, I'm like, was I exercising last year? Mm -hmm. So I like, I don't, like I get lost in it. My husband's like pretty good at that. He's like, no, no, you've been doing a lot more since SOT. But it's so subtle and it's like, right? Like, which one, what is it? Is it the SOT or is it that I sauna four days a week now? Or is it that I'm like less stressed than before? Or is it that I like finally had that difficult conversation with the person I needed to have? Like, I feel like i it's hard to pinpoint. And I remember some me like, it's never a silver bullet. Absolutely not. I've done so many things and healing from Lyme. It's like, you want it so badly to be like one thing. And its I just have never found that to be the case. And I have never talked to anybody who that has been the case. So, yeah,
1: I I agree. Um, tick-borne infections are very complex and everybody's bodies are very different. So certain treatments are going to work for some where other people are not going to find the same success, but it seems like you've looked into so many modalities and also did the personal and emotional work that it's allowing your body to move forward and looking back, it may be hard to figure out like, what was that one treatment, but it seems like it was everything that you did that really got to, got you to where you are now.
2: Yeah, And I, I definitely did it all. Like I did everything I, and I was open to it. I tried everything. Like I, and I, and like, I came at it, like when you have scientific training, you can be quite judgy about this stuff, right? Like, I'm like
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> homeopathy, please. Like what, what the heck? like i was like show me the literature like i was pretty judgy at first um and now i'm like i don't need empirical evidence like if it makes me feel better it works like i'm it just has, i've changed so much now because of it um so yeah but i have done a lot and i continue and i'm super committed my life depends on it my mm-hmm. ability to like thrive depends on it yeah but i've i've tried a lot A lot of stuff I would have thought was like woo-woo and weird and cringy, I've just been really open to. I've been extremely careful about what I surround myself with, what I consume, like what I listen to, what I eat, what I I, um, watch, who I'm around, very discerning about that stuff. Um,
1: I think that's really important because, um, not only do we need to worry about toxic things in our environment and our diet and things like that, but also people. And when you are going through this very misunderstood disease, a lot of people, um, family, friends don't understand it, but it seems like you had such a sweet husband that was by your side and was like, okay, let's figure this out. And, uh, yeah, so that's um that's really nice to see. I it's really nice to hear stories where uh, it seems like relationships actually get closer by going through something very difficult. Um because that's that, that's not always the case.
2: He's been I I actually cannot fathom what people do solo. I do not I it would have destroyed me. I would have probably had to move home and that I mean I don't know. I actually don't know. But I couldn't have cuz the borders were closed. I don't know what I would have done. So he now, yeah.
1: sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no that's. Um, not- so so now you are you are moving forward. You have found treatments that are working for you and helping maintain and manage your symptoms, so that you can have a happy and happy and healthier quality of life. Um, where does this environmental side come in? Are you still riding horses and? I know you have such a passion for the environment, um, but having a tick-borne infection, what well, I would love to hear your perspective on this.
2: Yeah, I'm not riding yet. I still don't feel well enough to ride the way I used to ride. Mm-hmm. I could, but then it would be like, that would be my like reserves for the day. Mm-hmm. So I have to very much balance that. Like If I wanted to ride, I would probably need to spend the rest of the day like doing my healing, like having like going cold water swimming or sauna or stretching or like, you know, buying back that exertion, I guess. So no, I'm not riding. Um, and that's a little, that's, it's sad. It's just, you know, went from a huge part of my life, but horses are there if I, if I want them and they're not going anywhere and that's, that's okay. Um, for the environmental piece, it was such a beautiful, unexpected totally unexpected gift of Lyme like I truly did not anticipate um furthering my understanding about well I when I got sick it was all like medical approach like okay what are the medicines I'm taking and then I and then within a few weeks I was like oh dear I'm gonna have to address my emotional healing if mm-hmm. I'm gonna heal this and then that became like my whole thing like okay like and I threw myself into that like the books and the podcasts and the life coaches like just gonna do
1: it. Um that's hard to do. That's it that's hard to do. A lot of people it takes it takes them a while to not only look at the medical side but also look at like the interpersonal and emotions. So that's pretty impressive. You were able to really do all of that um in in a shorter period of time. Um yes I'm impressed.
2: Yeah I do think like when I was thinking about like what would a listener get from this it's like I was so sick and I got better quite quickly given how sick I was like like I know like when you're talking about Lyme like some people are like oh I just had to work out a little less I'm like what like I couldn't put my shirt on you know like like really bad and then I and like to be living the way I'm living now like it's good like I'm good still hurts a lot but I'm pretty good yeah and like so yeah like, I definitely think I healed quickly because I did the things I did in it, despite pain. Like this wasn't like, I was in pain doing a lot of this all the time. Like, like healing is super painful emotionally. Mm -hmm. And like physically, like sit in a sauna when you feel like you already have the flu, like those first several sauna months were brutal, Mm -hmm. but yeah. So the environmental piece came in quite strongly only recently did I start putting these things together? Cause I'm in the process of editing my book. And I was like, Hmm, this is so amazing. <laughs> and so unexpected because I spent so much of my career and my education, like really quite upset about the state of the natural world. And like, man, humans, like, this is so bad. <laughs> like, what are we going to do? And worked like super low level, like nonprofit, like door knocking, like donate to this wetland restoration. And then like, I've worked in, profit driven corporations for the environment. And then I've worked, um, like I've been a very integral part of changing the laws. So I've seen all of the the whole thing, like the whole different spectrum. And I still never understood. I'm like, okay, like how do we make people care? And how do we solve this environmental crisis? Like, despite all of my experience across the board, I still didn't know what it was. I was like, is it top down or bottom up? Is it a combination? And I just like never felt like I knew the answer to that, despite like 20 years of work and education in environmental resources management. Then I get sick from Lyme and like I come to this answer that I'm like, oh, my gosh, the only way we're going to solve the environmental crisis is to heal ourselves. It's the only way like we have to heal ourselves not just from Lyme, but we have to heal ourselves from all of the like trauma that's rampant in like greater society because healed people like equals healed environment, you know, environmental degradation is self-destruction. And I used to like, I studied those things and I used to kind of say them and now I like feel it and I know it. And I realized that the people that were like my life coaches that I've worked with and my yoga teachers and the therapists and the breathwork instructors, I'm like, these people are like environmentalists and they don't even know it because they're healing people and healed people are what's going to solve the environmental crisis. So like had these like epiphanies and like, it's so cool because these are epiphanies I only came to through Lyme, which I got from an insect in nature. Like Mm -hmm. it all feels kind of perfect. And like, like it was like, it does feel Almost like romantic or something, even though it was like so terrible <laughs> um,
1: yeah, it's so, definitely- yeah it's been
2: yeah, it's something I write a lot about and I'm still like hashing these thoughts out in my head, but um it's where I want to help people because like I know that healed people are be- the best thing for the
1: planet mm-hmm. It seems like it's changed your outlook on a lot of things um mm-hmm. and and just seeing it from a very different perspective. Earlier in this conversation, I know you and Rich were talking about the environment and how, you know, people used to be bit by ticks all the time, but now people are getting a lot sicker. And I think that, um, there's so many factors that play a role in this. Um, so yes, ticks are more toxic, but why are they more toxic because of our environment? And then also it's not just the outside environment. It's the inside environment with, um, with mold and then outside pesticides, things like that. But I would say the silver lining is, um, when you're healing, I feel the best and the most grounded when I'm in nature. So, you know, a lot of times people are like, do you, do you hike? Like, um, since you had such a bad case of Lyme disease and and I'm like, yeah, like I live in Colorado and hiking is one of my favorite things to do. And I take the precautions so that I'm smart about it. But, um, nature is very healing. And that's kind of where this comes full circle.
2: Yes. Yep. Absolutely. And I address those things. Like we were talking about resiliency. Like I'm thinking about the things like as people become more like are bitten more often, whatever it is, like we're seeing more lime building that resiliency within people. Like I, there is a whole, I understand like keeping ticks at bay and, checking yourself and all of that stuff, which is what I was saying earlier, but building resiliency is like how we solve environmental problems in many cases. So I really think we need to build resiliency. And I did that by addressing those things that were the most damaging to my personal resiliency, which was like people pleasing and over extending myself. I never said no, uh, like total like lack of self-confidence, lack of self-worth, those things like made me a less resilient person. Like I would say yes to everything and then be like resentful about it. And that is not a healthy place to be. And it made me anxious. And it made me all of the things that I'm, I think a bio, like a, a, like a doctor could explain why like a negative mindset is expressed like physiologically, like maybe you have higher cortisol and all those things. So like, this isn't just like, touchy feely, like, you know, the body keeps the score, like that Mm -hmm. book, right? Like Mm -hmm. this thing, these things can be explained quantitatively. That's not like my area of like understanding, but I've read a lot of the books. And so I've come away with like general understandings of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, like environment, but connecting to the natural world has been so fundamental to my healing. And I was already connected, you know, I worked on behalf of the environment, kind of,
1: mm-hmm. but mm-hmm.
2: just connecting to it in a really more like I connected with it in a very um like so- socially like rewarded way. Like I got the job and the and the degree in it and stuff like that. But now I'm just like barefoot on the beach all the time. <laughs> yeah, like that, that's that more nice. the way I want to connect with it, and I understand that. Um, yeah, environmental restoration is self-care and it just goes both ways. What's good for the planet is good for us. And what's good for us is good for the planet. Mm-hmm. And I've always been driven by what's good for the planet. So if I can help people, that's good for the planet. And traumatized people are everywhere. And like, it's like their trauma is what's being projected on the environment. We like, we adopted these two amazing cats from a rescue. They were saved from the streets of San Bernardino. And one of them, um, gomez he got shot like he was raised he was like found behind a 7-eleven shot with like a bb gun that is like human trauma Mm
1: -hmm.
2: manifest and i don't like blame or hate the person who did that like that person probably has a background that is horrifying and that's why our planet is suffering so we need to address those things and that's where i think like i think i might be able to help I hope that's what I really want to be able to do. Just having yeah. been and read and yeah.
1: I'm super impressed that as you're going through this journey, you're also trying to help people by writing a book. Can you tell me a little bit more about your book?
2: Yeah. The book started off as a total overachieving antidote to not saying like my doctor, like she was like, It was like two months in. She's like, so how's your family supporting you? And I was like, well, they don't know. She was like, what? I was like, well, no, I'm not going to bother them with this. Like they're in Canada. They, they, I don't want to upset them. And no, oh, that's just like so sad and crazy to me. And um, yeah, I, I realized there were a lot of work that um, using my voice and telling people how I feel, like expressing my emotions is important and that's human.
1: Mm-hmm. So I'm
2: working on that. So I decided to write it in a book. Cause that's kind of easier for me. So I just started one day. I'm like, well, no one will see it. I can just write this thing and no one will see it. And then it turned into a whole book. And so the book is, I mean, I guess it's a memoir. I don't really know. Yes, it's a memoir. It's my story of healing. It's not a how-to. It's not like this is how you heal from Lyme. There's a lot of amazing books like that. This is just what I endured. I love to write. I'm a pretty descriptive writer. Um, I want it to kind of like break your heart and like, like, I want you to feel exhausted when you're done reading it. Like, Oh gosh. But it like, my favorite book in the world is the glass castle. And I sort mm. of wanted to feel like that. Um, and as I'm editing it right now, I'm sort of like really infusing the environmental part into it that wasn't really in it in the first manuscript. So that's it, but you'll learn a ton about Lyme, a lot, a lot about emotional healing. Like it's, it's not necessarily just for lying people. Like if you, you know, if you're an overachiever or people pleaser or any of those things, it would probably be super helpful. Um, if you care about the planet, if you like cats, I don't know.
1: <laughs> Can I ask how it's been writing the book? Cause I feel like, um, like I've often thought about writing a book and I've started and sometimes it's a little triggering, where I'm like, ah, oh, this was such a nightmare to go through. And like, I can't believe like it, like reliving it. But then other times it's super therapeutic. Um, so I was just curious on how it's been for you.
2: Yeah, I'm deep in editing. Um, my editor is phenomenal. Ruby Warrington. She's absolutely incredible. She, <laughs> we're doing, we're first round right now and there's an entire chapter she is fully edited and I need to do a ton of responding to and i just passed by it. I'm like, nope like not reading that one again. That's too awful. Like I'm literally like bypassing entire chapters because it's too upsetting to read, to look at again. I will look at it. So yes, Mm -hmm. yes. And yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a process.
2: You're like, what? Like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe I did that. Like there's some passages where I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is nuts.
1: Yeah, it's like living in the twilight zone, but it's your actual life.
2: <laughs> you're actually, and a lot of people. Yeah. But I do want it to be hopeful. That's the thing where I was very cautious with the like forums and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I want it is definitely going to be like. An, I've been told like <laughs> a lot of people like, "Oh, you're inspirational." Like, I want people to read it and be like, "You can, you can absolutely get through this and be better for it." I am so much better for Lyme, and. That I hope they understand.
1: Yeah, I mean, I um yeah, thank you for talking to us. This has been like really nice to learn more about you and uh and put more information out there. Rich, I didn't know if you had any other questions to ask as well.
0: No, I, I'm actually good. This was really a brilliant interview. So I, I can't thank um, each. Well, I have to thank both of you. Uh, you know, I can't I, I can't thank you both enough for. Uh, for sharing this really beautiful story. And, uh, you know, Michelle, you did a great job with the transformation so well that you took my part and I didn't even feel guilty about it. It was just really beautifully done. So, so Alana, I, I, I just want to le- learn a little bit more about the book. Um, when is it going to be published? How are folks going to um, be able to, um, you know, uh, get a copy of the book? And, and I also want to invite you back for a, fu- a future follow-up so that we can maybe do an episode on the book and make it you make that episode available to folks in the community who might be interested in learning about the book in advance of, uh, of reading it.
2: Oh, I would love that so much. Thank, yeah. Yeah. The book is deep. We're deep in editing right now. It'll probably be 2025. These things take a lot of time. Mm-hmm. I'm learning. Um, so, um, but for people that want to connect, like I truly met people that fundamentally changed my life for the better on um, social media, on Instagram people that have radically changed my life. And so, um, I'm active on Instagram and I highly encourage people to reach out to me. I've connected with other people, um, that are now looking to me for, you know, guidance. My, it's, if you look up Elena Belquist, that's where you find me, you can send me a message. Um, like I said, I just, I know it to be true because I have connected with people that have made my life so much better through Instagram. It's not to be, belittled or anything like that. It's very, very powerful. So I'd love for people to reach out to me there. Um, I have online at chronicinspiration.us. There will be a place where you can buy the book there. Um, I'm going to start running workshops. And so in the workshops, we'll be talking about um, healing, connecting to nature, um, how to use nature to heal, um, a lot of back and forth. I find dialogue really, really um, helpful and informative. So I, I do love to connect with people. It's, um, we're just better and stronger when we work together. So I would love for people to reach out. And then when the book is ready, I would love for people to it'd be really amazing if people read it.
0: it. It will be amazing. I'm sure it's going to be an amazing book. And we certainly want to be there with you when you're ready to launch that book. So uh, just uh, mark it on your calendar to uh, stay in touch with us, so that we can come back and do an interview, just focus specifically on the book. And uh, and folks, uh, again, I I I know everybody in the community needs models, right? We need people to look to, so that we can find shortcuts on our journey. And and I can't I can't imagine there are two people that are any better than uh, Michelle and uh, Elena Ford for uh, serving as models because what we only want to do is you want to find somebody who's just a step ahead of us so that we can learn from that person. And of course, um, you know, when we, when we are in the community, we have the responsibility of sort of helping the folks who are, who are a step behind us so that they can, they can shortcut their journey. So I thank the two of you for spending so much time away from your families and spending time with us here at TIC Bootcamp. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you again. Thank you. It's been so fun and I'm excited to read your book. Can't <laughs> wait.
2: Thank you for being my first podcast (laughs) on (laughs) Lime. I'll never forget it.